Right. It's interesting because um, when we try and when we try and remember, and we did this time, we often put on Facebook um, the kind of the next series coming up. And this one got more shares and posts and likes from people I'd never even heard of, to be honest. Um, which I thought was interesting because I think there is this huge cry in the world for something authentic. You know, we've, we've been sold so many lies and all sorts of stuff that actually people want to know what is real. So that's where we're going. Um, but a word of uh, wisdom for you uh, before we start. Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. I thank you. That's it. Amen. And I can sit down and that's it. Take it one step further. Charlotte shared this with me. Philosophy is wondering whether ketchup is a smoothie. Ponder that one. (laughs) So there we go. But we're not talking about philosophy today. So really the point I'm making is that wisdom is not about knowing stuff. I have a load of certificates on the wall in my study that show that I have some qualifications in accounting and stuff like that. Does that make me wise? Not really. It just means I know a bit about accounting. That's it. That's not wisdom. That's knowledge. Hmm? Quite a bit. <laughs> well, I hope so, given I've got a new job in it. Well, yes. yes. But that's not what wisdom is. That's not what we're going to... Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So I thought um, I'd like to set off a new series by getting you something that you will remember. Okay, so um, I need Paul to come and uh, help me, because he said he was going to sit on the front row this morning, and he has, so now he's got to come and do something. Um, Claire, you said something to me earlier, so you're coming as well. And, yes, and Simon, I'd like you as well, please. Can you come and stand at the front? So we're going to do a real or fake test. Is it a competition? Possibly. Excellent. Okay, so I have here some real, i.e. branded items, and some Tesco own. Nothing wrong with Tesco own, I'd just like to point out. I stopped short of Tesco stripey. Um, so, and we're going to see if they can tell the difference between the real ones and the fake ones. Now, I've got to open these very carefully because I dropped the bag downstairs as I was leaving the house this morning. I'm hoping, so this is, um, is anyone not like Coke? No? Okay, that's fine. Right, Simon, you can do this one. This is A. Okay. That's a good point, actually. And this is B. Alright. Now, if you have a look, they look... Don't get them muddled up, Helen. Do not get them muddled up. They look pretty much the same, and that's the issue. Oh, no, that's darker. That's darker. Right, A. B. Okay, which one's the real one? A or B? Well, which one is the... Yes. That's B. Okay. Yes, you're right, B. Yeah, no, no, you're going to have the... You said, Claire, you said, I will be able to tell the difference between... Cadbury's and Tesco's. She did say that. So, close your eyes. Okay, this is B first. 
Just making sure that's the genuine article. Okay. This is A. She does, because you can tell the difference by looking at it. Yeah. Cabbage has got a C. She said she could tell the difference. B is A is Tesco's, and B is the second one. Yeah, I gave you A, the second one. That one is Tesco's. Okay. No. You said... Oh, yeah, you did. Yes, you're right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Well done. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. And the reason she has to close her eyes is Cadbury's does say Cadbury's on the top. Right, crisps. We've got walkers. They both got it right. So pressure's on, Paul. Okay. A or B? So A. They're ready salted. Good crunch. Good crunch. Good crunch. A or B? I've got chocolate on my fingers now. I've got the hardest one here. Yeah. I deliberately chose ready salted. I would say B is Tesco. Okay. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Well done. (laughs) Well done. Yeah. <laughs> right, go shopping with these guys. They know their onions. Right. The other thing I'll admit to you is when I was in Tesco's yesterday, rushing around trying to buy these things, I started at the beginning and I picked up a bag of Walker's cheese and onion crisps, got to the end where the Tesco crisps are, panicked, picked up the Tesco's ready salted crisps, and then got home and went, they're definitely going to be able to tell the difference. They're different flavours. So I had to go back and get the ready salted ones. Yes. So you can tell the difference between real and fake. That was hopefully relatively straightforward. Dear. Hmm? It's on the board. It was on the board. No, because that's really properly sellotaped on. Afterwards. So we are faced at the moment with basically a whole load of distrust. When you watch the news, I basically don't believe anything that's said. Everything comes with a bias, everything comes with um, self-interest, and it just feels like we're not being told the truth about absolutely anything. A part of our vision statement of the church is to be authentic community. So if we're going to be authentic community, then we need to really know what that means. What does it mean to be an authentic Christian community? What does that look like? Authentic is always best. Has anyone ever bought authentic um, stuff from a market or, or whatever? I bought some authentic Beats headphones when I was in Vietnam. And they lasted a couple of weeks. I mean, they cost me a few quid, so it doesn't really matter. But, you know, effect- effectively they broke, bits fell off. And, you know, authentic stuff lasts. Fake stuff largely doesn't. And in some cases, fake goods, if you watch any of those sort of um, programs can be dangerous. Fake goods, fake toasters can blow up and catch fire and all sorts of stuff can happen. The problem with fake stuff is that from the outside, they look genuine. And we need to delve a little bit further to see what is what is real and what is authentic. So that's that's where we are going. There was an interesting news article last week, or week last week, about a python that had escaped in Cambridge. Which is a genuine story. Um, I... I said I couldn't go to work because I was too scared I was going to be eaten by a python. And everyone said, don't be so stupid. 
But one of the news articles I read, it had turned into a man-eating snake. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not sure that's a genuine article. Right. Yeah, man-eating snake. Right, so we're going to have a look at how we can test the authenticity of something. So we're going to have a look, um, mostly hanging around 1 Corinthians. So which is around, because I looked this up this morning, conversation we had last night, page 1146 if you have a blue Bible handy or an electronic device, you're on your own. Okay? So we're going to be basically dotting around the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. And we're first of all going to have a look at how do you test the authenticity of something. Um, is this the bit you read earlier, actually, Claire? Just after, yeah, okay. Um, by the grace God has given me, oh, sorry, we're in um, Corinthians 3, verse 10 to 15. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, <coughs> silver, or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, and yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. If you want to purify a metal, you stick it in a really hot fire. Not just wave it vaguely at the hot fire. You stick it right in the middle of the really hot bit, and that will test whether it is authentic or not. And that's what we have to do. We have to test these things to the point of destruction sometimes. We've really got to delve in, and that can be a little bit hot and uncomfortable um, sometimes. So this, um, I love Corinthians. This letter is written by Paul to the church in Corinth, and he, he is very to the point in his letters doesn't mince his words, and he says what needs to be said. And he starts off pretty much straight away telling them off in this particular letter. Um, And it has a number of themes in it. And one of the ones he concentrates on right at the very beginning are divisions within the church, because the church are now starting to build everything on the wrong foundations, effectively. They are not being authentic Christians in that sense. And that's where he he kind of concentrates um, and he really points out that some of the church members, in fact, probably most of them by the tone of his letter, are being arrogant and divisive. And that can only cause problems um, within the church. So that's kind of the, this kind of setting the scene of, of where we are. Um, he does, like I say, he doesn't mince his words, and we'll get to that. So the first thing they're having a bit of a discussion about within this church uh, are the best leaders. So I thought this morning what we would do... <laughs> is Tony's out with the kids, but the other three of us are here, so we could just maybe do a vote on who is the best leader of... No, we're not going to do that. (laughs) Absolutely not going to do that. No, that's definitely not a good idea. So if we flick back a couple of chapters in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1. So this is right at the very beginning of the letter, and he's making his point um, very clear. And there's just a a phrase in this that I love, so I'm going to read it. Um, So 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, and we'll go to 17. 
It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there will be no divisions among you, but that you will be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, who's she? Don't know. Right, Stara, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you, except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. I remember that. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. It just cracks me up. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And I just I just love the fact, he's obviously written and then went, oh no, oh no, I baptized them as well. Better add that in, in little, little brackets. Um, we don't know who Chloe was. Chloe's obviously you know, had a word. By the way, have you heard? They're having a bit of a discussion. Um, that's not particularly relevant. What we know is that the church were arguing amongst themselves over who had baptised them, and therefore, did that make them a better Christian somehow? Because they were baptised by someone particularly holy. And this is very firm. It actually doesn't matter. At the time, um, the art of kind of rhetorical persuasion was highly valued in society. So they had like professional orators who would kind of go from town to town speaking and displaying their ability to entertain and destruct and they used all the right words and all the big... You know, if it had been today's society, they'd have had the best PowerPoints ever. They'd have had you know, signs and one, all sorts of stuff going on. Paul was very low-key in contrast. He felt that you know, he didn't want to... He wanted to be genuine in what he was saying. The, he didn't want anything to over, overstate the message. The message was the message, and that was, that was that. And he was very clear that actually his aim, his mission, was not to go around baptizing people, but to share the gospel of salvation. Baptism, and I'm not knocking back, baptism is hugely important and absolutely vital for our Christian growth, but it's not baptism that saves us. It's salvation that saves us. And Paul makes a point here that he he's preaching the message of salvation. And only God can save us. Who baptizes you is irrelevant. That's an outworking of it. It's God who saves. Now, in today's society, we are much more mobile. Most of us, if, if we are still working or if we work, travel. Um, I travel to work, lots of people travel to work, so we are generally more mobile. And even today, we can fall into the same trap that the church in Corinth had fallen into. Because we can have our own snobbery about our churches. Who has the best preachers? Who has the best worship? Who has the best lights? Who has the best smoke? Andrew's not here, I can say that. Who serves the best coffee? Very important. Who runs the best... Well, obviously, that's us, yes. Um, who runs the best midweek groups? All of that stuff. You know, we can say, oh, you know, that church is better, that church is better. Actually, that's all good stuff. It all helps us to feel at home. It helps us to feel welcome. helps us draw us into the presence of God. But it's fluff around the edges. At the end of the day, what is true and real and authentic 
is the message of salvation that we need to share. When I was younger, um, I used to watch songs of praise. And I was convinced, this is when I was a teenager in the church, in this church, I was convinced that if only songs of praise came to our church, (laughs) the whole country would be brought to Jesus. I was that convinced, I was that proud of our church. And it's good to love your church, it's good to feel proud of your church, but actually, a church is a church, and as long as God's message is being preached, that is just style and fluff. Apologies. So, they had a problem with this message, okay? Those those around at the time had a bit of a problem um, of the message. And there's a really nice phrase in here, which we'll come to when we read the passage. It says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The foolishness of God is wiser than anything we could be wise about. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And I think that's come through our worship a little bit today, is that actually we can be as strong as we like, but even God at his absolute weakest is so much stronger than that. Absolutely so much stronger. Um, So, uh, just moving on a, a little bit, verse 18. It says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Probably working out where the ketchup is, a smoothie. Um, Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. And this is where the people had the problem. Jews demand signs and the Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. We'll come back to that in a minute. So what he's saying there is actually let's just take a step back and look at what is the picture of salvation. And that is, and I'm glad we did communion this morning, that's exactly what we need to focus on, that it's Jesus dying on the cross. And that's where the people of the time had a problem, because the Jews couldn't accept that the Messiah was effectively seemingly weak and allowed to be killed. They couldn't accept that at all. They weren't they were expecting this triumphant, strong deliverer, and that just bamboozled them. They, they didn't get it. It just didn't make logical sense. And the Greeks were looking for wisdom. Okay, Their culture was that they wanted to see um, insight. They wanted to see signs and, and wonders. They, yeah, they wanted to see something happening. They wanted proof and evidence. And neither of those two thoughts were satisfied in Jesus dying on the cross. That really confused them. So to the Jews, they couldn't see the strong Messiah that they were looking for. And to the Greeks, it just didn't make sense. just didn't make logical sense at all. They were looking in the wrong place for the wisdom. The wisdom came through the message of what was happening on the cross. And Christ, therefore, was a stumbling block. They just couldn't get past that we don't understand what this is all about. It doesn't make any sense. 
And if you are a non-believer, that will be the case today. That it just doesn't make any sense. People don't understand what we're going on about half the time. I did um, a survey. I work with the, for the university, and occasionally we get these surveys come around. You know, will you be involved in this kind of um, what do they call study? This trial study thing. And it was on, it was on about um, your brain and whether you believe, whether you have a faith in something or not. And I thought, well, this is quite interesting. So I answered the preliminary survey. Um, and if I get to the next stage, they're going to wire my brain up and all sorts of stuff. It's quite exciting. Anyway, and it had lots of questions on, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only God? Do you, all this stuff, and I was able to, and it was kind of on a scale of minus three to plus three. And I was answering plus three, plus three, plus three. Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe. Then I had to make sure because they switched it round. And I had to round to minus three, minus three. And I actually, I felt really good about it because I could feel that I was very firm in my faith. And it was quite reassuring. You know, it's that bad as a leader. It's quite reassuring that I felt quite firm in my faith. And that, as I was answering, I thought, I wonder how many other people are answering these questions that extreme. Um, and it, you know, in the world today, Christ crucified is that stumbling block. But the thing about stumbling blocks is you keep falling over them. And people will steep, you know, keep tripping up. So for us, it's the kind of bedrock of our faith. It's, it's what we truly, honestly believe, what we build everything else on. For non-Christians, God will just keep standing in front of them, and they'll keep falling over it. And it, it will be that stumbling block. And, and as church, we need to be there to try and yeah, help them understand what that stumbling block is and what they need to grasp from it. Sorry, I've got to put off track there. So we need to make sure that we are basing our lives on the proper, true wisdom. The simple truth that Jesus died on the cross for us, rose again, and now we've got that bridge between us and God. So what is this wisdom that we're talking about? Apart from knowing that tomato is a fruit, there are presumably other things that we need to understand. So what characteristics do we need for a wise preacher? A long beard. Okay, well, I, I probably um, don't qualify there. Anything else? What well, is a wise preacher? You go to church, you think, oh, yes, that was, that was excellent. Biblically based. Well, that's good. I'm not going to knock that. That's, that's fine. Yeah, happy with that. It was a listen. Excellent. Pardon? I wasn't listening. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, that's a good start, yeah. At least have confidence, yeah. I teach all sorts of things, and I've got a clue. Well, not today, but you know, in in the world of what I teach at work, um, as long as you're a page ahead, you'll be fine. Um, uh, good props and illustrations, I think, is very important. Uh, something exciting. I think if you've written lots of books, that makes you know those preachers where you go to conferences and they they come up to the lectern and they've got this big pile of books. Oh, this is going to be a good sermon. They've written books. They speak at big major conferences. They know the Lord, yeah. When it boils down to it, that's it. That is what it is. They know the Lord. It's all that other stuff is good. It can help us listen. You know, a good illustration, someone who speaks well, someone who knows stuff, can link things together really cleverly. That's all really good, helpful stuff. But at the end of the day, they know the Lord. Yeah. It's authentic wisdom. You can learn stuff, but authentic wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. 
Question then, can we all have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us? Yes. Therefore, can we all have this wisdom that sometimes we look to other people to give us? Yes. Because that that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, gives us that wisdom. And that makes us really strong as Christians. And we sometimes forget that we have the ability to have that wisdom ourselves. All we have to do is ask God to give us the Holy Spirit and then listen. That's where I make the mistake because I'm too big-headed and stubborn, and etc. Brian's not in. He's not going to say anything. Intellectual persuasion doesn't save anybody. The saving faith comes from your heart being changed by the Holy Spirit. Um, I was going to say something else there, but I've forgotten what it was. Those who crucified Jesus didn't understand what it was they were doing. So we lay the blame at their feet quite a lot, but actually, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't understand what was going on. Paul and the church in Corinth wouldn't have understood what Jesus dying on the cross meant unless God had revealed that to them through his Holy Spirit. It wasn't because they were particularly clever or particularly wise in in kind of the human sense. It was because God had revealed the truth of what was going on. They would not have understood that if God himself had not revealed it to them. And I think sometimes, and I'll hold my hand up, we forget to ask God, what does that mean? Why are you pointing me in that direction? Why am I reading this? What does, it, what does that mean to me? It's that spirit, the Holy Spirit, that bridges that massive chasm between God and the deep things of God and all that he is and his character and our, let's face it, frail and relatively shallow human heart and mind. Yeah? Without that Holy Spirit, there's no way we could understand what God is saying through his word. So, that's what makes a wise preacher. What about our behaviour, then? So, Paul has something to say about this as well. Okay. Um, so, if you've got your Bibles open still, can you flick to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3? And we'll just read the first few verses. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Again, quite harsh. Uh, Indeed, you are still not ready. Still quite harsh. Um, Since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere mere humans? (laughs) Harsh. For For when one says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So he's being quite, um, again, to the point, um, and really pointing out that they, they're not acting in the way that they need to act. They are not being authentic followers of Christ. They have sort of assimilated with the world around them, because the world around them are quarreling about who's the best preacher, who's the best speaker, who's the best whatever, and that's what they've started to do. 
And Paul's quite clear. He said, well, I'm not going to tell you anything else. I'm not going to teach you anything else because you haven't grasped the basics yet. You need to get that bit right first. Um, so anyway, I've, I've got some uh, some proper words, look. Some proper, proper Bible words. Um, so in verse 1, the Greek word used there was sarkinos. I can't remember say pronounce it properly. But that means characterized by the flesh. And then in verse 3, he uses a slightly different word. And now in our translations, it comes through as kind of the same word. But he uses a slightly different word, sarkikos, which means made of flesh. So the fact that he's used both of the words kind of is emphasizing the point. Yeah, you're, you're taking on the character of flesh, but you're almost becoming the flesh as well. And when he uses flesh, um, Paul is usually referring to basically the unredeemed heart. Yeah, humans, non-Christians, those who haven't accepted Christ. So he's saying, yeah, you're taking on the characteristics of someone who doesn't believe, but actually if you're not careful, you're also going to become like one who doesn't believe. And it's very easy. If you start being drawn into behaving like the world around you, you will soon become like the world around you. And it's then very difficult to distinguish between the two. So the Corinthians are Christians, but they are behaving like the unbelieving world around them. And until they get that sorted, Paul's not going to take them any further. He's making it very clear, you have to get those basics right. Okay. So they weren't ready. So I forgot that bit. So at the very beginning of this book, Paul is making sure that they are building on the right foundation. That's the starting point. Um, I did a sermon once, it was a family service, and I thought, oh, we'll do um, the wise and foolish builders, you know, foundations. So I got two kids up, I can't remember who they were, and I got one to build um, a house using kind of just normal wooden bricks on some sand, and then I got one to build a house made out of Lego on a solid surface, and then I shook them, and true to form, the one on the sand fell over, and the one built of Lego stayed upright. The kid who built the one with the bricks burst into tears because I'd ruined his house. (laughs) And point was slightly ruined. But two points there. One, we've got to build on the right foundation. Two, we need to build on that right foundation with the right stuff. Because there's no point having the foundation right and then building the rest with wobbly stuff. Because that will fall down when it gets a bit windy. As well, so there's, I think there's two points to be made there. Decided not to do that in case one of the adults cried. Um, that would be very sad. Um, just we're going to flick. Sorry, we're flicking around a little bit, but not between too many chapters. We're going to flick to chapter three. Uh, yes, chapter three again. And we're just going to read a few bits in and around verse five to twenty-three. I'm not going to read it. Read it all. Um, By the grace God has given me. I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let's go back to building everything on Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood or hay, their work will be shown for what it is. It will be revealed of fire, blah, blah, blah. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. Um, Okay. So, verse 8 says, The one who plants 
and the one who waters will have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. So God's blessing and reward to us as Christians varies according to the faithfulness of the tasks that we're given. So we shouldn't, once we've become a Christian, it would be very easy to go, brilliant, that's that sorted. Just got to wait for heaven now. That's, That's brilliant. But God gives us stuff to do. And we will be rewarded on how we tackle that stuff that God gives us to do. Now, what it doesn't mean is if God gives us a massive thing to do, that we will be rewarded greatly. And if God gives us a tiny thing to do, we will be rewarded in a little bit. No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is, if we're given a tiny thing to do, and we do it with our whole heart, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for that heart attitude. Building on that foundation with the right stuff. We can be assured, and I want to make this very clear, because it talks about being burned up and and all of that stuff. We can... I'm losing my voice now, Jan. I think it's catching. Yeah. We can be assured that if we have believed in Jesus and we have asked him into our lives, we have been saved. That is it. There is... That's fine. It's very jolly tune. So we can be absolutely assured that we have been saved. But we shouldn't just sit back. Like I say, let's not sit back and wait for heaven. Let's ask God what he wants us to build onto that foundation. Because I don't want to get to heaven and just have a foundation. It'll be a beautiful foundation stone, but I want something built on it. And I need to ask God what he wants me to build on my foundation stone. And I need to make sure that I build it with the right stuff, that strong, true, authentic stuff. And it doesn't have to be just the special few, you know, that seemingly are very holy that can have access to this godly wisdom. We all have access to that godly wisdom, which is um, a great relief. We shouldn't boast in men. So the the church was saying, oh, you know, well, I'm, I'm clearly much more, I was baptized by Paul. I'm very, very holy because I was baptized by Paul. No, don't boast. We don't boast in ourselves. Okay. I think that's probably self-explanatory. We don't boast in our leaders. We don't boast in our church. Any of those things are divisive. They will cause division and break down what we're trying to do. However, boasting about God, that's encouraged. Yeah. So if we're going to boast about anything, let's boast about the truth. Let's boast about God, that's strongly encouraged. But anything else, boasting about manly things, worldly things, is always going to be divisive. Boast only in God. So what about us? First point, I'll make it again. We need to be assured that we are saved by Christ. It's very easy as we kind of navigate our way through life, and I've said this before, even if, yeah, if we were kind of became a Christian when we were very young. It's very easy for the world to say, but are you sure? Are you not just a little bit daft? Are you being a bit ridiculous, believing in this thing that nobody can see? And you can you can lose confidence in your salvation. Take a step back, go back to the beginning. Yes, I am confident that I am saved by God. That doesn't change. What we build our foundation on is important. Don't build your foundation on anything other than God and that salvation. So, 
Don't build it on your own strength. Don't build it on somebody else. Don't build it on a church. Don't build it on your friends. You build your foundation on God. Nothing, nothing changes that. And then we need to be aware that we do live an authentic Christian life, even not on a Sunday. Oh, I know. So, Matt, and I think this is true for all of us. Take a step back. And think, okay, would people know I was a Christian just by the way I behave you know, at work, at home, in Tesco's? Um, <laughs> some people may have noticed our new welcome bags. And uh, we had some trouble with the stickers that we bought. Claire and I got really stuck up trying to get the stickers off the sheet. Uh, and I felt I had to contact Vistaprint and express my displeasure of the quality of the cutting of their stickers. And as I worded my online chat to the man at Vistaprint, I suddenly thought the stickers say Newmarket Community Church on them. So maybe I ought to phrase my chat in such a way that I'm not very, very angry. So I worded it very carefully because I thought, actually, this is a chance for me to to bring the light, to say, okay, he, whether he made the connection, I don't know. But I felt that I had to be completely authentic in my Christian faith when I was talking. I wanted to make sure I wasn't diddled, but I had to phrase my chat, online chat, very carefully um, so I did think about what I was what I was writing. Anyway, it works. It's sending us 83 stickers. So, um, nice man. But it was just a little thing, and I thought, actually, I need to make sure that I am living an authentic Christian life in everything I do. And that is the challenge that I wanted to leave us with this morning. So hopefully as we go through, there's another two weeks of this series. We'll start to look at other areas where we need to be authentic. Um, and I, I think it will be a real challenge to us as as we go through. But think about it this week. Think about that fire. If this was tested to destruction, would it stand the test? And that's the important thing.